It's showtime. Showtime. Welcome to the party, pal. I just can't give you a whole spiel. I don't even know where you're sitting at. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, sorry about this week, but uh, we're actually going to have to skip this week. Um, Hope you can enjoy this older episode of Sultans of Smoke and catch us again uh, next week. Thanks, guys. Welcome to the Sultans of Smoke Cigar Cast. I'm Drew. Mo's joining us this week. Hello. We're in uh, Jeff's wonderful garage tonight. He's he's joining us on the podcast. Hello to all. Welcome to my garage of mysteries. And uh, one way to put it. <laughs> and uh, Skip Martin's joining us tonight. How are you doing? I, I, unfortunately, I couldn't be in the cave of mystery, but <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're better off. It's a bunch of Star Wars figurines and <laughs> behemoth posters. I smell of jealousy, and it reeks on you. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, it smells like cigar smoke and, and uh, desperation. <laughs> yeah. It does, actually. Corn <laughs> <laughs> um, like and bingay. <laughs> corn? Cream, cream, cream corn. Cream corn. Yeah, that's stuff that old people eat. Oh, jeez. You're not that old yet. Soon. Um... <laughs> Mo, do you, you want to kick us off? Oh, well, yeah. First you of all, um, Skip, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, it was a pleasure getting to meet you for that split second in, in Las Vegas. You uh, And thank you for the T-shirt and stuff. So um, it was definitely cool, man. We are big fans of your cigars. Um, we smoke them. We enjoy them. And so we're, uh, we're very happy to have you on. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Um, so, man, we're going to, you know... You uh, have a very unique style, um, and, and we'll get into that a little bit. And, and just to kind of give you a preview of what I was thinking, um, you know, number one, you, you and Jeff were joking around about the politics thing, but one thing I always wonder is you're pretty straightforward and don't hold back about your thoughts um, and how that has kind of shaped how people uh, approach you, um, because I've also read some of the comments that uh, vehemently uh, disagree with some of your stances. Um, so how that kind of affects you, if it does affect you, how you deal with that. Also how, uh, Nika Sueño started, uh, the difference between the factory and then the Romacraft brand, if there is a difference. Um, and my understanding is you have a very unique way of going about your logistical stuff. So if you wanted to talk about that, um, okay. and kind of how you got into cigars, man. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, so, so, uh, you know, I get asked the politics question a lot, but, <laughs> Um, I, I don't know why that is. I, I, I guess because I'm I'm one of the few people who um, isn't kind of you know far right wing. I think I think in general the whole converse, political conversation has kind of gone sideways a lot, you know, in, in in society. But so first of all, I don't really ever talk politics um, when I'm in a professional capacity. My, my mm-hmm. uh, Facebook page is is my personal Facebook page. Like mm-hmm. if you if you were to look at my Instagram page, which is more, uh, it's followed by three times as many people. Uh, th- I think the people on Instagram have no idea what my personal politics are. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, my Facebook page kind of started out as just people who I knew, right? And, and mm-hmm. mostly p- family and friends. So, you know, I feel like there's a long tradition of, uh, 
of a cigar shop or a barber shop being a kind of place where uh, men get together and uh, talk about whatever the issues of the day are. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so, you know, even when I had a cigar shop, you know, very, very frequently uh, people would come in and, and we, we would have, you know, those kinds of discussions. Um, you know, I think being informed is, is a part of your civic duty. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think the problem is, is that it's hard to be, to, to get informed by, uh, political discussion on Facebook these days. But, <laughs> right. The onion is 100 percent accurate, sir. <laughs> yeah, I think I don't. I don't really. I don't really share. I never get in kind of trouble for the things that I share. Uh, generally, the things I share are perspectives from kind of all over the political spectrum. Things that I find right. interesting. Um, you know, uh, I think generally where I get in trouble is I have almost zero ability to resist. You know, trolls. <laughs> uh, sp- specifically when, when they, uh, you know, I don't know. I think you can, you can talk about policy. Like you can say, well, our charter school is a good idea. Uh, and then you can have a good discussion with, especially with people who are friends who, uh, are willing to have that kind of discussion in a, you know, kind of a rational and, and kind of, you know, friendly way, even if it gets a little heated and, and you disagree on things. But a lot of times what happens is is that you, you end up arguing ideology, right? Like if you right. and I were to get, to get into an argument, I have liberal friends that when I share something that's pro-Second Amendment, which happens to be my ideology, <laughs> um, those people go nuts. And it's because it's purely because of their uh, political ideological belief about guns, right? And mm-hmm. then I have people, if I post something about you know, pro-choice, you know, that's an ideological thing. That's not a, it's not a policy thing. Either you believe that people have that right or you don't believe people have that right. And in both cases, you know, the Supreme Court has said that the Constitution supports both of those rights. So I don't know that there's really a whole lot of value in um, having long, drawn-out discussions about those things because they're almost kind of like settled things. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really serve more than anything is a, is a wedge issue for, for kind of the political parties to make you side one way or the other. Right. So right. If, if you're a fiscal conservative, like I am, uh, believe it or not, um, <laughs> if you believe that the government shouldn't waste money, you believe that ideologically, you, you believe that they waste money on defense spending and you def- believe they waste money on entitlement programs, mm-hmm. but you'll generally find people on the left who have no problem with the entitlement spending. <laughs> who, who who think we should double our defense spending, and then you see people on the right. Uh, I'm sorry, who, who that we should you yeah. know get rid Cut of our half. Uh, yeah right. And then on the right, you see the opposite, right? That we shouldn't right. have any entitlement spending, but we should double our uh, defense spending. Right. So so I think neither of those positions are fiscally conservative. They're both ideological, and um, so generally where I get in trouble is is when somebody just says something that's completely inaccurate. And I feel the need to correct them, uh, which I can't. <laughs> especially, if it's, especially if it's my post, I generally don't go into other people's posts and yeah. start uh, that kind of conversation. You always see those kind of conversations on my post. And a lot of times, what it is, it's people who are friends of mine who disagree with me, right. who I know personally for a lot of years, and then people who have no idea who I am or or any have never met me jump mm-hmm. in with their with their you know two, two cents. cents. Yeah. So, it's interesting because, um, you know, I, we don't typically talk politics on our podcast, and I'm personally not going to start today, but I will say that 
it doesn't matter which side of the fence you're on. I always find your posts uh, thought-provoking and interesting, um, and, and they have research behind them. You know, you don't just shoot off the cuff and, and, and make shit up. So um, much respect on that, man, and it's, uh, it's pretty cool. So. Well, thanks. I mean, that's the purpose of it, right? The purpose yeah. of it is to say, you know, these days part of the problem is is that people kind of only tune in to things that they agree with. Right. So, they, mm-hmm. so the only thing they hear is they hear people who kind of parrot or, or give them the information that they that they want to hear in the way that they want to hear it. Sure. Um, so where I where I generally will post something, it's because it's it's something that you know either the conservative or liberal people who follow me are going to disagree with but it's it's coming at them in kind of a fact based kind of a way where you can say hey i know you have this firm belief on this thing but i found this interesting and uh, you know i'm i'm one of these guys that that you know i'll probably i would have i've in the primary i voted for john Kasich. um mm-hmm. i vote in texas so you know, you know texas is going to elect is going to send their electoral college votes to a Republican, period. It doesn't matter how I vote. Mm-hmm. Um, I voted for John Kasich because I really believe that, um, you know, I don't agree with 30 40% of the things that he has done in the past or supports, but I felt like he's a rational, intelligent, experienced guy who could probably get moderate things done. You know, one of the great things about the, one of the great things about politics in Texas is, there are big urban areas that have Democrats uh, kind of in, in state legislature, and then there's rural, very rural areas that have Democrats and very rural and urban areas that have Republicans. So they only meet every two years, so they spend 85% of their time basically figuring out how to balance the budget because they have to. They, they can't mm-hmm. not balance the budget. And then they have very little time for all these other bullshit issues, <laughs> right? So... Um, that's one of the great things is when they actually have to do the things that government has to get done. And at the state level, you can't just talk about things. You have to get things done. Um, it, it functions very well. So, you know, I wish we could get that to that point at a national level, but I, I don't, I don't think we are. Yeah. And there's a, there's a lot of competing interests. Right. And, you know, I've traveled yeah. a lot. So, um, Ooh. I've been, I've spent a lot of time in third world countries and in, in the Ooh. Philippines and in India uh, in uh, Malaysia, I've spent a lot of time in Central America. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've I've lived in socialist countries, right? So right. I know I, I know what socialism is, and and you know, so when you hear things like you know this socialist this or all Muslims are this way or, um, you know, for me I, I find you know that hard to swallow. There's a couple of things that I basically just won't deal with, which is kind of blatant racism or mm-hmm. um, you know hate speech kind of things um, right you know you can have a legitimate discussion about whether uh, people from certain parts of the world should be let in without an additional amount of uh, of scrutiny which I believe that that's a very rational thought process uh, but when you turn it into a kind of religious thing or when you turn it into a, a racial thing you know whether it's Mexicans from the border or whether it's Muslims from from Syria or whatever, and that's where it gets kind of sideways for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, there's definitely a lot of keyboard tough guys out there. That's <laughs> that's for sure. Keyboard so, warriors, man. Uh, yeah. It's uh, but 
Um, well, I don't know, man. That's that's interesting, and, and you know, like like I said, I just always found your uh, your post thought provoking. So very cool. Continue yeah. it. Thanks. Uh, well, I mean, to you, to your to your first kind of point about does it affect my business? You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if it does or doesn't. You know, I'm mm-hmm. in the business of making cigars. Um, we sell every cigar we make as fast as we can make them. Mm-hmm. Mo- most of our retail customers are very happy with the service we provide, uh, the engagement we have with them, that Mike, the job that Mike does. Most most of the consumers are very happy with the quality of the product and the price and and those things. So, you know, there's absolutely no reason why you can't just follow our Romacraft page or, or follow nothing on the internet at all and just buy a, a Romacraft cigar and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if you choose not to buy our cigars because you don't like my political opinions, then that's okay too. Um, we'll, we'll figure out how to get by, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, yeah. So uh, that's great. Um, how did you how did you get into cigars? What what started it all, man? Well, I started smoking cigars when I was in the Navy. Um, I was a I started buying cigars at uh, Emerson's in um, in Norfolk. And, uh, you know, my grandfather, my father were cigar smokers, so <clears throat> a lot of people kind of have that, you know, memory. But I wasn't a cigar smoker until probably uh, 90, 93, which I was, I was, close, I was 21 years old. So um, I, I've never been a smoker of any kind. I've never, I'm not a pot smoker. I'm not a uh, cigarette smoker, although I, I respect your rights to do that if you choose to. <laughs> Um, but for me, uh, I, I like enjoying cigars. It's never been a habitual thing for me, but I always have smoked a lot of cigars. And then when I moved from Virginia to Chicago, um, it increased a little bit, uh, you know, the commute and, and the time I spent downtown. Um, I, I used to buy cigars in the city from Iwan Reese and up down. And, uh, <clears throat> and then, um, when I moved to, te- to Texas, uh, back to Texas, I, uh, uh, you know, just started trying to find local stores. And then I, because I traveled all over the world, um, I just, one of the places, you know, if you're a, a business traveler, you kind of know, it's like what, where to eat and where to sleep and then kind of where to, to, to drink something. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I would find, I would kind of schedule my hotel or, or book my hotel based on where it was close to a cigar place to smoke. And I would try to visit local stores. So I, I visited thousands of stores all over the world. And then, you know, I, we had a uh, summer home in Galveston. And I, w- I was just annoyed that I could never find good cigars in Galveston. Uh, the closest cigar store was about 45 minutes away in Houston. So um, a friend of mine wanted to open a store. He was kind of uh, three weeks into it and was having some trouble. And so I came in and said, hey, I'll help you out. But uh, I get cigars at cost. And then. You know, it kind of all started from there. Awesome. Yeah. So did you end up owning your own shop in Galveston at some point? Yeah, I owned a a shop in Galveston from 2006 to um, Hurricane Ike, which was September 2008. Okay. So about about two and a half years. And then I was going to rebuild the store in Austin, uh, and I started working with Mike on what, you know, in the house cigar because you know it was a big part of our business was uh, these kind of house unbanded house cigars, and then that's where Cro-Magnon came from, and then they kind of just grew from there. Awesome. Now, the interesting thing about Cro-Magnon, you use a Cameroon uh, binder on that, don't you? Right. Yeah, yeah African Cameroon binder. Yeah. Okay. So, 
and I guess was always interested by it. So how do you, or why did you decide on that? Like, what do you think it gave the cigar? Because with a broadleaf, that's pretty interesting. So what do you think it gave the cigar when you, what, what did it give it that you were like, okay, this is it? Well, the binder is, um, so thick broadleaf, first of all, you're going to yeah. have burn issues, especially when you have thick filler. So right. the, pri- the primary function of the binder is to, is to assist with the combustion. Mm-hmm. So, um, so given the thick tobaccos that we have, the fact that it, that the cigars burn the way that they do is is mm-hmm. uh, has a lot to do with the binder. Okay. Um, like in the case of intemperance, we use the uh, Indonesian binder, which is very inert. It doesn't have a whole lot of contribution in terms of the taste, mm-hmm. right? But it, it it helps with the with the burn. So, in the uh, Cro-Magnon, you know, there, there was all these there was a lot of you know kind of profiles that had this very peppery kind of filler from Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times that because the dark binders were cooked or, or um, steamed or however you want to say it, the binder didn't actually contribute a lot. Well, broadleaf is very o- overwhelming taste wise. So that's mm-hmm. why in the, in the thinner ring gauge cigars, you, you know, you almost, all you taste is the, is like in the Lancero, all you taste is the, uh, the wrapper. So mm-hmm. um, in the, the uh, Cameroon kind of gives it a almost like a, a, a savory kind of sour taste to it, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. So um, it kind of the sweetness of the wrapper and then the pepperness of the filler. It was just something that I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually a very hard tobacco to find, so right. uh, it turns out turns out it wasn't the best choice. But um. <laughs> now, do you get your Cameroon from Marifels or from uh, brokerage? Or can you even we get all that? of our tobacco. Most all of our tobaccos we buy locally from from the free zone. So, um, for example, uh, in the case of that binder, we buy it from a, another factory that produces a lot of Cameroon cigars, and and we get the wrapper that yields off as binder uh, because okay. they have no they have no Cameroon. They don't use Cameroon binders, so they make a very large volume of Cameroon cigars, and then we just get the yield from their from their wrapper mm-hmm. um and th- there are a few there are f- you know more and more we've had to start like right now in fact uh, esteban's in the dominican republic um buying tobacco and um you know we've got we've had to go to brazil we've had to go to mexico and uh mm-hmm. so you know more and more we're having to branch out and look uh directly to growers and things like that for tobacco but um in all cases like whether it's our pennsylvania broadleaf or whether it's the uh, Connecticut Broadleaf or the Atapadaca, um, those tobaccos, we source them. In some cases, we source them from the grower, but they still come to a pre-industry company here. They're imported by a different company on our behalf and where their uh, fermentation takes place. And then we select and buy the tobacco after, um, or again, I should say, we select uh, after it's fully fermented. Mm-hmm. What has, uh, what's been going on with the, uh, has there been a broadleaf shortage of recent or has it just been more of a quality issue? Well, I think there's always a broadleaf shortage. I mean, um, there's, especially now there's more and more people. I mean, now here in Esteli, you've got Nick using more broadleaf. You've mm-hmm. got Drew Estate still using as much as they always have. You've got, uh, Noxa doing Sokka stuff now. He's using a lot of broadleaf and we, and we use, we use a thicker 
broadleaf. Uh, 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 Garcia, Papin Garcia uses a lot of broadleaf. Mm-hmm. So we use a very high priming, a thick, thick broadleaf that needs a lot of fermentation. Um, so getting the, you know, let's say you look at 50,000 pounds, there may be six or 7,000 pounds as the kind of wrapper that we buy. Uh, fortunately, almost everyone who uses it doesn't use that priming. Mm. So, you know, everyone I just named, they usually use a viso to a lower, uh, you know, kind of a middle priming, uh, mm-hmm. which actually burns better and looks better. And um, But for me, the, the thicker priming tastes better. So that's that's what we buy. Mm-hmm. Well, I your broadleaf tends to be a lot oilier, has a lot more sheen and smoothness to it. It seems where, you know, you mentioned Sokka or Nick's stuff seems to be more on the rustic side. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say our stuff actually has is probably veinier. You'll see more mm-hmm. prominent veins. Uh, even in our Habano, it's the same way. We use a very high priming of that, too. So, you know, but, we, you know, we use very small amounts. Uh, you know, if you're going to make a million cigars of, of, of broadleaf a year, you couldn't use the kind of tobacco we use because there's not enough, unless you're buying it directly from, like Drew Estate buys it directly from the farms and then has all kinds of other ways to use it, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they, they buy the whole cow and then, you know, they make steaks, hamburgers, hot dogs, they make everything. So, um, you know, we, we only, we, we, we buy a lot of it and then the stuff that isn't wrapper quality, we actually have a few projects that we use a broadleaf binder on. So... Um, you know, that's kind of how we use that, the yield, but, um, you know, buying tobacco is, uh, you know, fortunately we have a lot of capital. Um, so every time we find the type of tobacco that we want, we buy it. It's just, so a lot of times we'll go look at thousands of pounds and they won't have what we want. So we stop making that cigar until we can find it. Hmm. Yeah. Very good. You got, you got something else, Jeff? Oh, I got plenty. Cool. Well, um, how easy was the, well, I mean, it probably wasn't easy, but the transition from just retail to manufacturing, I mean, and learning the whole process. I mean, when did you, after how many years, if it was that, really come into your own, knowing what you need and what to expect from the tobacco, what you're looking for? Well, I mean, my partner in the factory, Esteban, is really the tobacco guy. Okay. Um, you know, I'm just kind of like a, a business guy that loves to smoke cigars. So, um, even though, you know, I'm the final say on the blends, um, and have like, for example, the Neanderthal, I almost did completely by myself, um, with, with Esteban's opinion. Um, but you know, once we, in terms of, you know, once we find the, what we want in terms of making sure that's the kind of tobacco that we buy every time and making sure that they're rolled the same way every time that's that's almost all Esteban's job you know my job in the factory was really just to make sure all the processes worked and to make sure that uh you know that we uh did things consistently and um um you know on a day-to-day basis you know I, I when we buy tobacco I I look at it I I give my opinion when we make cigars I smoke them. I give my opinion when we're blending. I'm very involved in it. Um, but from a day to day, you know, I, I sit at the front of the factory um, uh, and on my computer, and and you know, I very rarely am I outside of kind of the processes after production. I, I almost never go to the production floor and say, "Hey, you know, you're doing this wrong." So, um, you know, that's that's entirely Esteban's. Uh, uh, role 
Gotcha. Well, I can definitely see the, uh, you know, one thing I've always admired about, you know, your product besides the consistency, which is something to be said, because a lot of companies, I think, have lost sight of that. Um, even though everyone preaches it, I don't think everyone executes it nearly as well as you do or someone like a Carlito um, that just right. not going to put it out unless it's ready, not going to even attempt it. So, you know, there might be shortages, and that's very, I think, very unheard of. I don't think a lot of companies would sit there and say, well, we're just, we're not going to have it for a little while. They'll, they'll find a way to do something and make a shortcut. And that's, that's something to be said for you guys. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think we could easily do double or triple the amount of cigars that we make today and, and make a lot more money doing it. Um, I, you know, it's kind of like if you're a retailer, you make a lot more money opening a second store or a third store, but it, if you're the reason why your store does really well, you can't, right. you can't replicate yourself. So, um, you know, I think it's just easier to do things, you know, regardless of what anyone tells you. Cooking dinner at your house for five people is a whole lot different process than cooking lunch on an aircraft carrier, right? And by doing things in large volumes, it's just inherently harder to do it the same way. Sure. So, so uh, you know, by keeping it small, we, from, you know, we built our business from the beginning with no brokers and no salespeople with a very small staff uh we built our factory to, to produce a certain number of cigars a year and that's the number of cigars we feel comfortable uh producing um so uh it's like i like i always say it's it's not super complicated it's not like you're building um you know microchips or whatever mm-hmm. uh but it but it is it it is something that takes where consistency matters a lot. And uh, I, th- I think, you know, there, there are decisions that are made kind of from a, from a balance sheet perspective or from a profit and loss statement perspective. There's decisions that are made that said, hey, you know, we've got, uh, two, you know, $700,000 in back orders for this product that got a good rating. Let's just start making a lot more of those, Right. And somebody from the office says, you have to make more. Well, at the factory level, you can't just go, okay, let me pull 700,000 of those cigars out of my ass, right? So, but somehow, you know, right, somehow they figure out how to do it. And the way they figure out how to do it is by cutting corners, right? So mm-hmm. um, someone in that chain, there, there are companies that, that make those decisions. And sometimes the differences are very, very small and almost nobody notices. And sometimes the differences are significant. Um, and sometimes the differences are imagined, right? You know, when we started putting bands on our cigar, there were people who swore that it changed, even though <laughs> band whores. Yeah. So who knows, you know, um, you know, at the end of the day, the, the ultimate, uh, the ultimate decision of whether something is being made the way that it's supposed to, and whether something is ready to put into a box comes from Esteban and I, mm-hmm. and, you know, Mike gives us his feedback from the stores and from consumers. And, and of course, we have a good feedback loop on social media. So, you know, if, if somebody says, hey, this thing's kind of going sideways, we try to figure out pretty quickly, you know, why that is. So you brought up an interesting point. So on the consumer. OK, I don't want to ask this. This is going to be like a multiple point question. Okay. Um, if a guy does not smoke Roma Craft today. 
what are they smoking today that you think could easily translate to smoking your cigars? Um, where have you found your best markets are today? And where do you see, where are you trying to grow? Um, and we'll keep it just U.S.-based, I guess. So I got a regional, okay. on regional level, stuff like that. Okay, so to the first question, I would say that there's so many good cigars in the market right now that, mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the greatest things about the United States that you, that you don't find almost anywhere else is the amount of choice that we have in almost anything that we buy. Mm -hmm. right. You know, you, um, if I go to the grocery store here in, um, in Esteli and I want to buy, say, I don't know, um, a box of cereal, I might have 12 options, right? Whereas in the United States, there's a whole entire aisle with 200 and something options of, mm -hmm. of breakfast cereal, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that there's, there's some stuff on that aisle that is not great. It's very generic kind of stuff, you know, like uh, the generic Fruit Loops, right, or whatever. <laughs> right. yeah. and, then, and then there's stuff on that aisle that are the, you know, fancy organic, you know, hand-hewn oats and berries or whatever. Um, and, and, you know, there's a certain... There's a certain kind of client that always that's going to buy that. Um, <clears throat> you know, for me, the question you you asked, which is, let's say let's say someone smokes Liga Bravada and they like Liga Bravada, and it's a mm -hmm. Nicaraguan cigar with a broadleaf wrapper. Mm -hmm. Will they like Will they like Roma Craft? Probably, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Will if they are introduced to Roma Craft, will they buy Roma Craft more than Liga Bravada? Um, Maybe it's half the price, right? Right. Yeah. So, so um, there, there's going to be people who say, no, that's, that's not what I like. You know, I don't like that guy. I don't like the labels. I don't like, you know, whatever. Um, they don't sell it in my local stores, so I refuse to buy it. Uh, and then there's going to be people go, man, I actually like that a lot more. I wish I, you know, I'll never buy a Liga Bravada again. So um, the, to the second part of your question, um, I think, you know, or let me finish the first part. So I don't, I think the days of someone who goes in and only buys cigars of one brand mm -hmm. end, ended about 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's still the old guy who comes in to get his box of Macanudo Hyde Park cafes or Davidoff <laughs> Special Reserve R's. And he buys right. that box. He spends all of two minutes in the store and he, le and he comes in every week and, right. you know, store stores love that guy. Right. We, t we, we talked about, you know, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but real, we talked about that phenomenon actually uh, on a couple podcasts ago because it feels like there's this like certain age where guys just say fuck it and they just smoke the same thing. <laughs> like the days of trying new stuff are over and it's like this is what I like and that's it. And then it's like we we're trying to figure out what age that actually starts at. <laughs> so um, I, I don't have a final answer, but it feels like late 50s early 60s maybe but um yeah, maybe, but it's maybe. interesting you said that <laughs> yeah so but you know the thing about those guys the, the thing yeah. about those guys is you don't see them in the retail shop as much anymore it's right. not that they yes. it's not that it's not that they don't exist they've just mm -hmm. figured out if i'm going to buy the same exact box of cigars then eight dollars per box makes a big difference and i'm buying from thompson's mm -hmm. right i mean i had a neighbor when i when i had a house in austin i had a neighbor uh, who I would cut, you know, you want to, we had one of those mailboxes uh, where it had a bunch of mailboxes all together. So I, I 
pull up to the mailbox, get out and get my stuff. And his house was right in front of the mailboxes. And he was like an old fire chief or something, retired fire chief, about 60-something years old. And every – in the summer when the weather was good or whatever, he'd be sitting out on a lawn chair in front of his garage smoking a cigar. So um, I had seen him there for years, I mean, two, three years. So, you know, I, I came – I started to be friendly with him, and I came up to him and say, Hi, how are you doing? And I would just give him cigars, and he would thank me. And then, you know, that's when I had a store. And then eventually um, uh, when I started making my own cigars – I would, I would go over and give them to him and say, hey, you know, let me know what you think about these. He's like, oh, those are pretty good, you know. And uh, I said, well, you know, I can get, I'll give you these for cost. I don't know what you're smoking. He goes, well, I smoke Hondurans. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, what brand do you smoke? He goes, I smoke Hondurans. I'm like, well, do you have the packaging or whatever? And, and I swear to you, it was a bundle of 20, of 20 cigars that said Hondurans, you know. And he got, he got them from T- Thompson's every uh, every whatever, two weeks. And, mm-hmm. and I, and, you know, I said, well, how much do you pay for a bundle of these? He goes, well, there's 20 of them. They're about, you know, $15. <laughs> <And> I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, you know, uh, well, if you like cigars, you know, what do you think about the ones I gave you? He goes, I like them just fine, but they're not 20 for $15. Yeah. You know? Right. So, um, even if I gave him two for free, he still wouldn't smoke them. He's more than it smoked the other ones. Um, and he's just that guy, right? So, right. Um, I don't know if there's a certain age group, but I know the guys who, you know, the guy who likes acid Cuba Cubas and smokes one a week or two a week or acid blondies or whatever. And I had right. those customers. If that guy buys a box a week, he is probably getting them from somewhere other than a retail shop, right? Um, yeah, I so, I think you don't see those guys as much anymore. But even more than that, you know, there there are guys who will smoke. Okay, I'll smoke Fuente and Padron and this, mm-hmm. the, you know, a couple of other things. But I'm not trying all these new smaller brands. Um, and then there's guys who who smoke anything that's new or limited, no matter what, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's different kinds of customers. Um, what I, our goal has always been, our goal is not to have a guy who smokes nothing but Roma. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a few of those guys out there, but um, you know, I think they're missing out on. Uh, some other good stuff that's out there. Um, but, you know, we make mild cigars. We make medium cigars. We make strong cigars. We make very strong cigars. We make cigars that are $4 and something, and we make cigars that are $12. Um, so there's something in our portfolio for every type of cigar smoker. But, you know, our goal is is that guy that comes into the store and picks up, you know, let's say you give him a 10% discount on a box, and then mm-hmm. somewhere along the line, you started giving them a 10% discount if they bought more than 20 cigars at one time, right? Mm-hmm. So you have that guy that goes in there and he picks up, you know, one Padron, a couple of Fuentes, anything mm-hmm. that's kind of new and different. And then he picks up, you know, three or four LaFleurs and three or four uh, Camachos or three or four Rocky Patels, right? Our goal has always been, hey, you know, if you think that guy is a good match for our cigar, give him our cigar. Um, recommend it to him. And then our goal is to become to replace one of those other brands where he buys three or four every time he picks up a handful, right? Right. Yeah. So the, the idea being, you know, I don't, I don't really expect people to come and buy boxes and boxes of cigars, but as long as every time you buy twenty, we're three or four of them, we're doing pretty good. Sure. Yeah, I know. For we do, you buy ten, you get ten percent off. If you buy a box, you get ten percent off. So. 
I think that helps encourage. I can't tell you how many times we've been like, a guy will pick up six or you know seven cigars, and I do it. If you get three more, you're gonna get ten percent off. And then all of a sudden, they're gonna go pick two or three they've never tried before. Right. Yeah. You know and what I mean? My, See that all yeah, the time. Then, yeah, and then my goal is to be be in his first six or seven the next time. Right. Right. Exactly. Yep. Makes sense. And then the last part of your question was, um, uh, I don't remember the last, the third part. Well, you know, well, we talk about this a lot too, is regional preferences and what sells in different regions. Um, where do you find your cigars do the best and where would you like to be better? And and I guess, you know, how are you working towards that? And if you are. So, yeah. So I think if you look at any retailer map for any, any company, you'll see a huge blank spot in the, in the North mid East or Midwest, Mm -hmm. like, like Idaho, North Dakota, South Dakota, that you'll see a lot of dots around California, a few up in Oregon and, and, um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, Washington, you'll find a a pretty good scattering of spots around the big cities in, in Mm -hmm. New Mexico and, uh, Colorado is kind of hit or miss. Texas is huge, and then you have you know the East Coast, Mid Mid Atlantic, and then a lot of a lot of stores in the Northeast. So I, I think if you looked at our map, it would be similar to a map you would see for any other brand. Okay. You know, um, mm-hmm. what in terms of where we've focused is, um, you know, Mike Mike covers the whole country by himself. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, he does it all mo- most of it from the office. Uh, so in terms of uh, you know where someone is is not super important. What we we've always from the very beginning driven. Uh, um, we I can tell you honestly, we've almost never called a store and said, "Hey, have you ever heard of Rol- Roma Craft? And do you want to do you want to buy some?" Right. Mm-hmm. We've always targeted initially. You know, when I sold the cigars myself, I had a list of two thousand people that were buying from me on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So. So if I saw that there were seven or eight people in this area in Oklahoma and say uh, Tulsa, there were seven or eight people who were buying my cigars on a regular basis from me directly. And we had heard and Mike had heard that, you know, Classic is a good store, you know, has two or three stores that are it's a great store. And he'd heard that from other reps or he'd heard that from other people. And we asked those seven customers, hey, you know, where do you shop when you're not buying online? And they say, "Oh, why well, hang out at Classic?" Then we, at that point, we would call Classic and say, or Classic would call us, and we would say, "Hey, you know, there's a lot of our customers that are smoking, of your customers that are smoking our cigars. Uh, you know, we'd be willing to open an account with you, and then you know, do an event, and and you know, immediately you have seven or eight guys who are buying from you instead of from me. Right. And so that's that's how we opened up our first. You know, even though other rep, there's some reps on the on the road who are like, well, you know, they sell them direct. We've actually completely, if you go to haveacigarshop.com, it's shut down because we've completely worked ourselves out of uh, the direct sales. Mm-hmm. Um, it got to a point over the last year and a half or so where kind of the only thing we sold were T-shirts and samplers. So um, we we've basically worked ourselves out of that by you know opening our first 40 or 50 accounts with by targeting stores that already had a cluster of our customers and then beyond that beyond that as we've grown our volume um it's pretty much just been selecting from the people who come to us and so um you know one of the things that we are really proud of that we kind of expect is is that a customer you know if someone calls us and says hey we want to open an account 
okay, yeah, you're a great store. We've heard about you. You know, we know what are you thinking? And they say, well, only thing we want to carry is Neanderthal. Mm-hmm. Um, we just want, you know, we'll carry that. We'll sell a lot of it. And it's like, well, no, thanks. You know, um, you know, for us, we want it, we want to be a good portion of your sales. So if you take a, a big store, like, um, I won't, I won't name a particular store, but if you take a big store in, in say Orlando that has multiple locations, <laughs> um, that's fairly big, right? I wonder. They asked us, Hey, you know, Hey, we'll be willing to order from you and bless you with an order. And it's like, fine. You know, we'd love to be in that store. It's a great store. Um, but we're a very, very, very small percentage of their sales. Right. Um, even though they carry a broad selection of our stuff, they don't carry all of our SKUs. And then when stuff gets back ordered, there's like they have none of it on the shelf. So for us, that's not a really pre- very good performing store and probably won't last very long, right? Mm-hmm. Even though I, I, I love the owner, I think he's a great retailer. I, I think the stores are beautiful, some of the best in the country. Um, it's just for whatever reason, our company is not a good fit for that company. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas on the... On the other hand, you know, you got a store like, say, Riverside in 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 um, Kentucky or Indiana, that um, is a very small store. It's probably in the, you know, in terms of premium cigar stores with lounges, it's probably in the bottom twenty five percent in terms of sales. But they carry every skew we make, and probably one out of every five cigars they sell are a cigar that we make. Sure. Um, you take a medium store like Lone Star that has two stores in Plano. It may not do as much volume as a store. Even two stores don't do as much volume as, say, Elite or, um, you know, J-, J. Fox's old stores. But we probably are one out of every six or seven cigars that are sold in that store. Mm-hmm. So we we really look at it in terms of are we penetrated? Are we doing a good job of being well penetrated in that store in, in relative to the size of that store? So. Um, you know, th- that's our, has always been our focus is if Mike's only going to manage 350, 400 stores, make sure that every time you hear from a customer, it's, it's, you know, or pack an order, it's, it's, it's that we're a significant part of that store's, um, sales. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in, st- in terms of growing, you know, our focus really has been identifying the stores that we feel are underperforming mm-hmm. that don't really, that we're not well positioned in. Hey, you know, you tried whatever reason it didn't work out we like you you like us but you know we're going to move on it's you know it's not you it's us (laughs) and then and then and then you know that's how we we drop four or five stores and then that's how we're able to open up four or five new ones right sure and um i can't think of any store there's very very few maybe less than 20 stores that we've opened up where it just hasn't worked out and they just stopped ordering from us and you know, we wish they were still ordering, but, um, we're, I think we're very different that way. Um, you know, and, and what it, what it does for us is it, it leaves a lot of great stores that are still out there in the event that, you know, something changes and, and we, I don't think we're going to have a hard time selling 1.2 million cigars anytime soon. I mean, Mm -hmm. even if, even for example, we are talking about the United States, you know, we, we started selling in Germany last year and, um, we ship them as much as we can. Um, uh, you know, they don't have a priority. They're not deprioritized, but, you know, what they order, you know, six months in advance. And sometimes it takes us six months to get, you know, 50 boxes of knuckle dragger together or whatever. Um, since we have 
450 on back order, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, the Wonderlust we made specifically for them, um, we shipped it to them. They sold it to their 10 best accounts in Germany, and 80% of it got sold back to the United States, right? Is that right? Right. That's the, that's the numbers that we hear. So Wow. So, you know, you know, if the FDA shuts us down, you know, we'll figure out how to sell a million to, um, you know, that's one yeah. good thing about Other being place. small, right? Right, yeah. right, right. Jeff? Yeah. You got, Jeff, Jeff's got more hair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jeff's time, Jeff's turned the nerd out. No, not really. Um, tell me about your, uh, rec- well, somewhat recent trip to Cuba, um, what you saw as far as their tobacco, was there anything that you were particularly excited about as far as leaf that you might at some point be able to use in conjunction with yours? And what did they think of your tobacco? If you, I'm sure so, you took some. Yeah, so I went to Cuba in 1997 um, with a cigar magazine publisher from Chicago. And then I went again um, last year, um, I guess I guess a little over a year and a half ago. So, um you know, in terms of tobacco, you know, the, the challenge in Cuba, there's two big challenges. One is that there's no incentive for the individual farmers to produce tobacco that's different or better um, mm-hmm. because of the way that, that the Cuban cigar industry buys tobacco from farmers. So if you put out mediocre kind of tobacco that has a good yield it's kind of like gmo corn right no you're not going to be rewarded for growing this fancy type right. of rare indian corn right you, you they it's just going want, it's going to cattle <laughs> right yeah it's being put in, it's, it's it's going to be used mm-hmm. to make cellophane or ethanol gas it doesn't matter what it tastes like right mm-hmm. so um you know there's this commoditized kind of market uh, on very low prices of tobacco um, so most of the people who are really good farmers or agriculturalists have completely moved off of making tobacco. When they were given that choice to make food or tobacco, they've decided to make food because they make more money um, uh, growing food. Um, in terms of the people that, that do make tobacco, there's very, very few. And, you know, Hirochi Robanya's farm is one of the few, few exceptions where they still allow him to get away with making tobacco that is differentiated. Mm-hmm. Um even that has kind of changed a little bit. So the first problem you have in Cuba is the tobacco is very homogenized, meaning it's, even though I believe it's probably the best place in the world to grow tobacco, and up to maybe 10 or 15 years ago had the greatest minds, the most experienced people in growing and cultivating and curing and fermenting tobacco, um, it's, it's just not that anymore because of the because of of what it's become so um you know we've we've blend, i've been blending with cuban tobacco for a couple of years cuban tobacco cuban filler is not hard to get um and you know when you're kind of looking at it to add aroma or combustion um it's something that you can put into a low production cigar that um that adds some interest to it, but doesn't really change the flavor overall flavor profile very much. Um, 
in terms of making a cigar that has a Cuban wrapper, that's probably near to impossible because, you know, when, when I was there, for example, one of the things that we saw was is they weren't um, they weren't um, priming the filler. Uh, they would actually, and they weren't cutting the flowers, uh, des, desflorado or whatever. They they were actually leaving the flowers on on the filler uh, leaf plants in order to make the leaves thinner so that some of them, some of the filler leaf could yield out as binder and, and wrapper uh, because binder and wrapper is so hard to come by. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, they used, to, I heard the number that, that three years ago they were making somewhere in the order of a hundred and 150 million cigars a year. And then two years ago it dropped to 125. And then last year was about a hundred and this year, it's probably a little bit less than a hundred million, mainly because of raw material. Um, I think, I think, uh, you know, when the U.S. market opens, if if they can actually sell Cuban cigars in the United States, um, it's going to really uh, deplete the availability of any kind of decent tobacco that that, that mm-hmm. I could get from there. So, mm-hmm. um, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it is what it is. Right. Go ahead, Drew. You got, you got something? Go ahead. Hello? Me? Let's switch it off. Let's play a game. Okay. Um, so let's, uh, we want to know your top three all-time favorite cigars. Um, actually, someone asked me this, and I put a lot of thought into it. Um, so you're going to, you're going to look it up and, and probably find different answers than what I'm about to give you now, but... Um, I think the, the Ashton Age Maduro is probably one that is, if you look, took it my 25 years or whatever, smoking cigars, that's probably, um, in the top five, um, the La Aurora, um, Diamond Perforito is one that I really like. Uh, the La Flor Double Lajero is one I really like. The original Camacho Diploma is one that I really like. Um, any of Eladio Diaz's uh, birthday cigars are always something that is, you know, one of the best cigars I ever smoked. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of good cigars out there. I mean, when I go into stores today, um, I'll still buy some La Flores. I'll still buy... Um, uh, some of the things that uh, Christian is is doing, um, I'll still buy a Padron here and there. Uh, I still buy a Davidoff every now and then just to see how that's going. Um, but there's some cigars, you know, that I'll that I'll smoke that, you know, I'm like I can't believe people buy them. They have no flavor. They have no. They're well made. They're decent, well fermented tobacco, but there's nothing distinct about them, and they're ten or twelve dollars. So mm-hmm. it's amazing to me that the people could still make those cigars. So, if you could, uh, if you could have a cigar with anybody, dead or alive, doesn't have to be cigar industry, just anybody, who would it be? Why and what cigar? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I you know I like smoking cigars with with uh with guys who just have started smoking maybe in the last year or two um because they're interested in understanding things that they haven't heard a thousand times like you know guys like us so 
Um, and it's just interesting seeing those guys uh, kind of find their own way of, you know, something new. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we make cigars for people who understand what a good cigar is and understand that, you know, 12 to $15 is not a fair price for most cigars, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know. I, my dad, I guess I would like to smoke a cigar with, especially now that, you know, I'd like to give him one of my, he would probably not like it. I mean, <laughs> he, he, he's one of those guys who would be like, this is $10. Are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> you know? uh, That's awesome. Or bro. my granddad, you know, yeah. both of, both of, both of them smoke really, uh, cheap cigars my granddad smoked um cheroots and my my uh parodi cheroots and my dad smoked uh graves uh money makers and he would take them and cut them in half and smoke one half and smoke half. <laughs> so, I, i've seen one, people do that yeah neither neither one of them were what you would call aficionados that, that's funny that you mentioned uh, smoking with new guys i've got a buddy that kind of just started smoking and it's always fun to hang out with him because he's discovering all these new things, and, hey, man, have you tried this? And he went into the shop and found something new to smoke, and he's all excited about it. And, uh, right. Yeah, it's a, it's a different, I don't know, different cool experience that you kind of get to go back through with them. And then they're yeah, always you know, asking you always about that, stuff. There's and, always that guy that comes up to the at the event and says, hey, you know, I... I don't really know anything about cigars, but, you know, and, and it's, it, you know, it's one of these deals like, well, how much money do you have to spend, you know? Buy these three or four different ones and then come back and tell us what you like the most, you know? That's a whole lot better experience, and let me tell you about how cigars are made and why that one's better or, or different than the one, you know, why you like that one more, and um, there's a lot more information available to that guy than there was 25 years ago. Um, yeah. But, you know, it is... I'm completely over the guy that comes up and says, you know, um, I'd like to know what the, what, what's the, the, the hybrid seed that, you know, and what is your farming method and, you know, how do you, do you put, how do you lay the leaves in a pallone and, you know, <laughs> it's like, dude, it's just a, you know, what flavor notes do you get? And it's like tobacco. It tastes dude, like tobacco. <laughs> I, I, you know, you know, you know, what's hilarious about that is I was, I was telling these guys, I said, you know, some of these guys just, they almost make you want to stop smoking cigars sometimes. It's like, I had, I had a store like, owner, come, I had a store owner come up to me and he said, uh, so uh, this is a totally true story. So I, I, I don't do that many events, but I was doing an event and uh, there was a guy at the register. He was a regular at the store and he goes, Hey man, I just wanted to tell you, I'm a huge fan. I love everything you make. I, I buy at least one a day. I'm like, oh, man, that's awesome. I appreciate it. You know, like, what are you getting today? And he was just standing in line at the register. And he goes, well, I'm, I'm getting these, you know, because my brother's coming. And I wanted to get him something that's really special. You know, what would you recommend? And so I walked him over to the table, and I told him the things that were limited and why they were limited. And, you know, given what he told me about what his brother smoked, you know, what I recommended and why I recommended it. And and I uh, thanked him again for being a good customer. And, you know, he, he went up to the register. Then, like, 15 minutes later, I was sitting at a table near him. And uh, he he kind of leans over and he says, hey, this is my brother. I'm like, hey, you know, nice to meet you. You know, uh, do you like that cigar he picked out for you? He's like, yeah, it's got kind of a, a weird taste to it, uh, like it's green. And I'm like, well, I can tell you that the tobacco is well fermented, but, you know, if it's not for you, it's not for you. And then um, and the other guy's like, no, you know, the brother wanted me to con- convince 
his his brother that that he had actually made a very good purchase and my response was basically like look you know it's not for everybody if mm-hmm. either you like it or you don't like it uh-huh. i can tell you i can tell you i like it i can tell you there's some people <laughs> who dislike it um but i can tell you it's made correctly it's made the way yeah. i want it to be made so you know it, if 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 you if you want, I'll walk in the humidor with you and show you cigars made by other people that I think are also good that are more in line with what with what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So then the, the the owner of the store came up to me and was like, "Oh, that guy's completely pissed off." He says you're a huge dick. He's never <laughs> buying your cigars again. And I'm like, "Why?" He goes, "Obviously, he wanted me to convince his brother that the that his lying taste buds." Uh, were deceiving him and that that was the best cigar in the world and he was lucky to have a brother that knew how to pick out cigars. <laughs> and, you know... I, they were brothers, not sisters. Right, so I was just like, you know, look, you know, I say I say this all the time. I say, look, I, I appreciate the fact that your support and I, and I don't take it for granted. But at the end of the day, I'm just a guy who runs a business and it's a lot smaller and less significant than almost every other business in the world, Right. And I'm not a celebrity. I'm not. Uh, I don't have you know that I'm you know whatever rock star persona. I don't have tattoos or jewelry or um, um, you know fancy hipster clothes or I'm just a normal <laughs> guy. And I focus on making something that I love to make and doing it in a way that I am proud to do it. And, but at the end of the day, it's just tobacco. Mm-hmm. And it's either you like it or you don't like it. And we could talk about different kinds of tobacco and why I like different kinds, what they add to the blend. And we could talk about the, the logistics of the business. We can talk about the process of how a cigar is made. And I'll do that for hours. But if you want me to sit and talk to you about the flavor notes and and whatever else, other bullshit you think that I should be talking to you about, that's just not me. I can't pretend to be something that I'm not. And, you know, sometimes that just rubs people the wrong way. And, I, and, 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 and at other times, it's exactly what people like about our company, right? <laughs> so, you know, all you can do is just be yourself, right? right? And, you know, um, I love just being, being able to walk into a store and nobody knows who I am and sit down and smoke a cigar and someone's smoking one of my cigars and they say, hey, have you ever smoked this? I'm like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm familiar with that. And then they're like, let me tell you why I like it. You know, it's just good and it's a fair price and it's always the same and and that's simple. It's, you know, there's no fancy bullshit. And I'm like, oh, that's fucking exactly what I wanted to hear. I'm the guy who makes that cigar, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you're you're just a fat guy in T-shirt and jeans. You, you, oh, you're Michael Rosales? No, I'm just you know Mike Rosales? I'm like, yeah, I know him. <laughs> I can't wait for the uh, text message after Dave listens to this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> fucking Dave. But you know what's funny is, like, you got really good sales reps like uh, like Brian McGee or, uh, you know, Paul Costo or guys that have been around for years. They were they were the reps when I owned a store. and And they can sit in front of a customer and just dial into whatever – vibe that that customer's in and talk about notes of this and the floral aromas and and they can do that and they get paid to do that but i'm not a cigar sales rep so i just i can't do that mm-hmm. nor do i nor do i want to that's awesome i like that, that, yeah. that that's great 
Well, <laughs> McGee, everything's going to taste like a salad nowadays, so. <laughs> Extra tossed? <laughs> no veganism. Never mind. Well, you know, that's a, you know, that's another thing about, about this business is, is how gossipy and, you know, so there's always two things, you know, that I, that I told Mike in the very beginning that my philosophies is I'm a firm believer in the brother of the leaf. I, I have a blog post that I wrote years ago that you can go and read about why, what I think the brother of the leaf is and why I'm a big believer in it and why I'm proud to be a part of it. But just because you smoke cigars does not mean that you're somebody that I like, right? <laughs> uh, this idea that just because somebody's a cigar smoker means that automatically they're a good guy and they're somebody that I should just be immediately friends with. There's a lot of dudes that smoke cigars who I wouldn't want to spend five minutes with, right? Drew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So, but, you know, this idea like, hey, well, you know, I'm a cigar smoker. You know, why are you... Why are you why are you, you know, why won't you be nicer? And it's like, well, dude, you're just a dick. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to spend five minutes talking to you. So, and then the other thing, the other thing is, um, this idea that, uh, that I'm selling you a lifestyle. And like, if you read some of these ads or if you, if you read some of these, uh, kind of blurbs about cigars, about the cigar lifestyle and the elegance and the, this and the, that, Almost any kind of re- uh, recorded ad for any blog is just is just such bullshit, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, I made this cigar to replicate the flavor profile of the first three minutes of sound of this uh, album, <laughs> or or you know, I I sat and smoked cigars until I smelled the aroma from when I was a child in Cuba or whatever. It's like that's total fucking bullshit. And, and especially, you know, this idea that you have to present yourself as some kind of expert on or put this front out there that somehow you have some Latin, uh, preferably Cuban lineage, that your grandfather had tobacco DNA, uh, <laughs> that, um, you know, that you came over on a boat or that you, you know, that somehow you're connected to the Cuban thing you've got the panama you got the picture in the field of you smelling the leaves and it's like like that cliche that cliche shit yeah yeah you don't have to i mean look there are people who that's legitimately who they are right and then there's guys who are just marketing guys who took a couple of trips to nicaragua and figured out how to slap their name and with some decent art on a box and they travel around doing events and selling some cigars right? right um there's there's cigars that are when you light it and put it in your mouth, either you like it or you don't. Mm-hmm. And it's it's amazing to me, uh, especially when I had a store, how many times you can give somebody a cigar that doesn't have a label on it. Mm-hmm. And, and if they give you an honest opinion, how different it is than the opinion that they have if they smoke it with the label and the packaging and everything else. Yep. Oh, yeah. I think all the time. if we lived in a country where you couldn't put any kind of advertising or labeling or – any kind of anything on those cigars, and they all sold for six or seven dollars. It'd be amazing how many fewer cigar companies there would be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. They say uh, women dress to impress other women. I feel like cigar smokers a lot of times, not a lot, but you know, sometimes will smoke certain brands to try to impress other cigar smokers. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, like uh, you know, so like what the band says, uh, you know, it's a sign of something, right? 
you know? Yeah, but I think that's to, – to what I've been saying is I think that says more about your choice of friends mm-hmm. than oh, it yeah. does about, about you even. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, um, if I was smoking a uh, – I don't know. There was a cigar a long time ago. It was uh, a Cinco Vegas something knuckle. Uh, it was a really strong, small, you know, just raw cigar, and I loved smoking them. And Jerry Cruz from Stugger used to give me shit all the time about how that was the worst cigar ever made and how could I smoke it and you know I'm I'm ruining my credibility. I'm like, dude, I like it. Right. You know what can I tell you? Um, <clears throat> you know. Yeah. So I smoke what I like. That's so, good. Yeah. Jeff. Um. <clears throat> the magic list. Yeah. Well, you had brought up. And kind of touched on something. I was just kind of curious as from a manufacturer and the price of tobacco nowadays, you know, being on the retail of Moe's, discovering that too. You know, the, we're used to the incremental increases every year. Um, what does, as far as buying the tobacco, do, do you see a, a constant increase in cost every year? Or is it just something that a lot of them, you think, I'm not going to name names as far as manufacturers, that they just do it whether they need to or not. You know, that typical 3 to 6% increase year after year after well, year. Well, I think a lot of people – so this is one of these areas where I think people bullshit. And a lot of people, especially manufacturers, don't like other manufacturers talking about it. <laughs> but here's the simple economics of making a cigar. A thousand cigars – of an average size requires about 40 pounds of filler tobacco and binder. So if you have um, a blend that has four kinds of tobacco, you use 10 pounds of each to make up 40 pounds to make 1,000 cigars. Wrapper depends on the type of wrapper. Some wrappers you only need nine, ten pounds to make a thousand cigars, and some wrappers you need 25, 30 pounds to make a thousand cigars. And it all is about the yield, right? Mm-hmm. So you can you can buy Ecuador Connecticut tobacco for $30 a pound, and you only need 10 pounds to make a thousand, whereas you can buy Matafina for $38 a pound, and you need 20 pounds to make a thousand, right? So the economics are a lot different where, you know, but in general, on a cigar, the wrapper is about a third of the cost, the labor is about a third of the cost, and the um, tobacco is about a third of the cost. So so filler is a third, wrapper is a third, and labor is a third. Mm-hmm. So almost every cigar in the world, no matter what anyone fucking tells you, Almost every cigar in the world costs between sixty-five cents and about a dollar eighty-five to make. Mm-hmm. Right? If I had access to the tobacco, I could make any cigar in the world for between, you know, fifty, sixty cents and and um, and a dollar eighty, a dollar eighty-ish. So when you pay thirty-five dollars for a cigar, or if you pay, you know, a dollar for a cigar. There's not a whole lot of difference in the amount of money that it took to make that cigar. Mm-hmm. Um, re- tobacco has gone up a lot. Um, when I was first starting buying tobacco, Esteli Lajero was somewhere in the neighborhood of four dollars and twenty-five cents a pound, and Jalapa was about 
$3.75 a pound. This was maybe five or six years ago. Now you can still you can find jalapa seco that's pushing seven dollars, uh, depending on timing, and then you can find Esalila Harrow that's pushing ten dollars. Of course, if you have your own farms and you have your own pre-industry, uh, you know it's a different economics. It's a lot cheaper, but um, wrapper hasn't gone up as much. It's just harder to find, hmm. but filler has gone up a lot. So where you so. Um, in terms of tobacco costs, that's been the change. In terms of labor, um, the most expensive place to make cigars is the Dominican. Honduras would be second. Nicaragua would be third. Cuba would be way, way beyond that to fourth place, right? Cheap in terms of cost. Um, still, the labor is a very is a the labor cost that we pay isn't really even in the cost of what you pay the, the employee. It's in the cost of all the other things you have to pay the government on top of the salary. Um, for us, our labor costs have changed because we, we pay a little bit more than most people. And also we um, have a lot of other things like education and, and healthcare and, and other things that we pay. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, still, you know, a, a factory is only making on a on a cigar that they sell. A factory is only making thirty five, forty cents. The, the 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 importer and distributor probably makes a dollar to two dollars, and then the the store makes you know three to three to six dollars, right? So most of the money that's dollar wise that's in making cigars is at the retail level. Uh, manufacturers. And, and distributors and brands make money based on volume. And then the factories kind of, you know, they don't do a whole lot in terms of, of dollars of profit. But, you know, the, the economies are a lot different in Nicaragua than, uh, than the United States. So, you know, for us, we probably spend a little bit more on tobacco than most people, a lot more than some people. We spend a lot less on all of our logistics and those kinds of things, and sales and administrative because of how efficient we are. And then we, we're we able to sell the cigar at a little bit lower price because of that money that we save. So we're, we're able, with the money we save on our model, um, on our sales and distribution model, we actually buy a little bit better tobacco, uh, definitely a lot more expensive tobacco, and then, and then um, you know, still sell at a fair price. So that's what our model's been from the beginning. Which I don't know if that answers your question, but... <laughs> well, kind of, I mean, it gives me a little bit of insight. I mean, we can all think back, you know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, cigars that were a certain price, and they've almost doubled in that amount of time, whereas there's other brands that maybe have gone up 25%. And, you know, I've always just kind of wondered, is that a supply issue? Is it just because of, pop, you know, is it popularity so they know they can raise the price? You know... Well, let me put it this way. The tobacco prices have probably doubled, Right. That probably adds somewhere between, I don't know, 50 cents and a dollar at the retail level. Mm -hmm. The labor prices have gone up a little bit. Let's say that adds, you know, 25 to 50 cents at the retail level. The real, pri the real cost increases that have gone up are these companies that in order to get from 4 million to 6 million or from 10 million to 15 million have had to spend more money on packaging spend more money on sales and administration and more money on marketing. 
Mm-hmm. So the real cost drivers in the business that have changed have been what the consumer has demanded in order to, you know, a retailer who says, hey, I want you to give me free products and T-shirts and hats and ashtrays and uh, reach around and whatever else. Oh, I love those. You get <laughs> those? Stuff, <laughs> that stuff's expensive. Is it? <laughs> right? It's not, so, it's not free. I mean, you know, uh, the, you know, for us, you know, we, we have very simple but durable packaging. We have uh, we have a very almost non-existent sales and administrative and marketing uh, costs. Uh, so, so for us, um, that's why you know we can sell a ten or twelve dollars cigar for seven eight dollars, mm-hmm. and still make more money doing it. Where have you been able to you know? You've brought it up a couple times on Facebook. I've always been a big fan, you know, of lean manufacturing. What and you know, I saw your post a couple of days ago about the S's. Um, where have you been able to implement that really effectively? That you know that you see making a huge difference that probably mo- most people don't even know what lean manufacturing is. Or well, anytime you can reduce damaged product, you reduce a lot of the cost. Anytime you can reduce. Um, the amount of money it takes to move product from one place to another, you reduce a lot of the cost. Um, but the biggest ones are costs that we never had to incur, like um, not paying salespeople, not paying brokers, not paying for cigar aficionado advertising, not giving a lot of, of free stuff or a lot of discounts, not giving away, um, you know, um, cars and motorcycles and grills and we just make good cigars. I mean, at the end of the day, if you spend, you know, $10 on a cigar and you know that $3 of that is in the tobacco and in the production and $3 of that is in the, the, um, in the, you know, the, the giving the retailer and the manufacturer a good, a good living. Um, and then, and then, you know, $1.50 or whatever is in taxes then you know most of everything you're smoking is value-added costs. Mm-hmm. If, if you take a cigar and 30% of it's advertising and 10% of it's T-shirts and ashtrays and uh, 10% of it is making sure that they have a bunch of well-dressed sales reps that you know can sleep in nice hotels and fly all over the world and, and have good Instagram accounts and eat at good restaurants uh, and then buying meals for, for retailers and stuff, and then you're really only getting about 30 to 50 percent of the cost of that cigar in the quality of tobacco mm-hmm. and in the experience that you're actually consuming. Um, some people are okay with that. Some people aren't. I'm I'm one of those people that I'm I'm not okay with that. You know, I'll buy a 25 dollar Padron 1926 number nine Maduro because I like that cigar, but I'm not going to buy them a lot, <laughs> right? Mm. Yeah. Because because I'm I'm not a sucker. <laughs> and um, I don't have money to waste. I got better shit to spend money on. So, uh, b- touch briefly on what's been going on with the wood shortage. Has the, have you noticed any change in that, or is that still just going to be an ongoing issue for a little while? So, if you look at Nicaragua, Nicaragua is kind of like a upside down triangle, and Managua is kind of in the middle, and then Esteli's up and to the left a little bit. The whole right side of the country especially in the north, is uh, forest. And there's been a lot of deforestation in the last five years from the Chinese. They'll come in, clear-cut, you know, 
hundreds of acres of trees, put them on a big-ass ship and send it to China or wherever. And all, a lot of that happens without the government knowing about it. Um, so what happened in the last two or three years is, is there's been a lot of shortage of rainfall. Um, and so there's been water shortages. Um, and they tie that back almost completely to the deforestation, meaning when you've taken the forest out, uh, you've reduced the the tropical nature of the rain system. So yeah. <clears throat> um, they actually created a new branch of their army that's an environmental protection branch of their army. So, you know, like we have the, the Air Force, Navy, Marines, they have, you know, uh, coastal, interior, and environmental uh, military. So that actually wasn't making a lot of progress, and they were still getting a lot of criticism. So then they started actually putting a ban on the cultivation and transportation of all native hardwoods. So that it comes up every two or three months where, you know, all the l lumber has to be from certified sources and it's a very bureaucratic process to get it. And, you know, it's, it's just one of those situations where the box cigar boxes are not a huge contributor to the consumption of wood, but it's one that's just kind of been a victim of this whole ecosystem of cutting back on, um, you know, pirating of, of lumber. So, mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think in probably the next five or ten years, there will be no such thing as a cigar box made of wood from Nicaraguan or Honduran or Costa Rican hardwoods. Um, so, you know, one of the things we've done is we, we've always sold refill bundles, but we've really changed our price structure on refills so that there's a whole lot more margin and incentive for a retailer to purchase a refill bundle and to, to take care of the boxes. I mean, our boxes will last 50 years if you take care of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could probably kill somebody with one of our boxes. <laughs> so, um, you know, we, we, we used to sell, you know, 95% boxes, 5% bundles. That kind of got to about 20% and 80%. And probably now we're shooting to do 50% in refills and 50% in boxes. And then probably in the next five years go to um, even our – you know, 25% that's the ship with boxes will ship with, uh, with some type of other wood. Like maybe uh, we're looking at importing bamboo and, and some other things. So, um, what is it's the, just the nature of, it's just the nature of the, the wood here. What is the wood that you use? I mean, cause they are incredibly sturdy boxes. I mean, we use a, a wood called Cedro Macho, which is red mahogany. Okay. Um, are you yeah. going to be doing? Because um, one of the things I was I like, I wish I had more of, is the uh, the trays that you guys do. I only have one tray. I think our other store. Yeah, has one. the are problem the problem with the trays is uh, number one um, because of our cycle of of uh, you know kind of back orders. Um, there are times where there would be whole sections of the tray empty. Gotcha. Um, the other problem with it is, believe it or not, even though this is completely illogical. If I try to export something from Nicaragua that's made out of wood, there's a very long and bureaucratic process to make that happen. If that wood product is a container for cigars, there's no process. So if I take a box of craniums and I ship a box of craniums with cigars, the wood itself is just a container. Mm -hmm. There's no special process. But if I try to send you an empty cranium box, it's about... 
an additional five to ten dollars per box plus a very long arduous bureaucratic process to get it exported so exporting anything that's made out of wood is very hard for some reason there's this loophole for cigar boxes hmm. interesting so exporting a, an empty tray is hard okay. exporting a tray full of cigars would be a lot easier and I just decided um, I, I didn't want to deal with it so gotcha that's that's weird, but interesting. No, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah it's, it makes it's, makes sense. It's too bad that, you know, such a cost-cutting, you know, that could really put a dent in the, you know, overforced, you know, cutting down all the trees, you know, saving space ends up being a much more costly factor. You know, it's, it's kind of a, you know, a reverse of what it really intends to be to cut down on materials and to save money. It's silly. Yeah, there's no logic involved. I mean, look at it this way. Take a retailer. You guys know retail shops. What percentage of cigars are sold in boxes? Probably less than 10%, right? Yeah. Or 20%. They're almost all Slow. they're almost they're almost all sold, you Same know, way. as individual cigars. Yeah. Um so to me, you would think that it would be a very easy thing for a retailer to save a box and to refill it, but um a lot of them don't want to do that. Hmm. So Okay. Mo? Did we lose yes, you? Yes, sir. Yeah, you got you got something else? No. No, I'm I'm questioned out, man. I know he's a new father, so he probably You're just along <laughs> for the ride. Jeff, you got anything so you else? Li- you live in <laughs> Mo, you live in Chicago? Yeah, I'm in Chicago. Do you do you work at a store? Yeah, I uh manage one of the stores for Casa de Monte Cristo. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a good customer for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, A28 and Monte Cristo. Uh, that's a yep. great, that's one of the best stores in the country, the um, the one with the elevator in it. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, I actually manage our third store. We still have three stores total. Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah. we, uh, man, I, I got to get some of those Mode 5s, though. The Cro-Magnon, that's my favorite Roma Craft cigar. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some more of those. Thanks. Yeah, you yeah. gotta wait behind me. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, what's that? I said you'll have to wait in line behind me. Yeah, and kiss my ass, Jeff. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh shoot! I just and you don't want me waiting behind in line for you. Yeah, you don't want that. <laughs> 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 Nothing ends well that way. <laughs> Tell us a little bit, if you've got just a few more minutes, about the. Uh, you know, I made it a point to have all your collaborations on the shelf. So, you know, with Matul, with Mike, and now I've got, you know, Esteban's cigar in there. So how, how has that process, you know, gone for you? I mean, it's, you've come out with some great cigars in collaboration with them. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan. I know you've seen my post of, of Mike's cigars. Smoke a lot of the Yeah, Pestanias. so they're, I mean, they're, um, they're all very small production. I mean, Palestania is less than, 50,000 cigars a year. Fable, Fourth Prime is less than 60, 70,000 cigars a year. Uh, Esteban Cigar, the Guaymaro is less than 25,000, you know, 30,000 cigars a year. So um, they're all very small projects. And, um, you know, mainly we did them so that those guys, you know, um, who were good customers of ours could, could kind of pursue their, their, you know, trying to do brands. But, um, I mean, you know, we put as much pride into them, I think, as we do our own cigars. Um, 
I think that, you know, I've influenced a lot. I think the packaging and, 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 uh, the blends on those. So, you, you know, you can kind of tell they're still in the same family as everything else we make. Mm-hmm. I think the cigar that we make that's probably more different than anything is the Wonderlust. So, uh, you know, but that one's specifically made for the European market, not for the, uh, American cigar smoker. So it's different, you know, different. What, know, what different did you try to accomplish? Thing. accomplish with that one then i mean tell us about the european flavor profile i mean we all have smoked cubans but you know and i personally find most cubans to be rather bland or either usually poor construction so what what were you going after with to, to satisfy them so the european market in general smokes mainly small machine-made cigars with very little flavor uh that's probably more than half of the market um uh, and then when you move past that part of the market, um, you get into it's. It, there's discussion around whether you're talking about old world or new world cigars, whether you're talking about Cuban cigars or cigars made in countries other than Cuba. Uh, so you're talking about long filler premium cigars that are made. Uh, if you take a place like Spain, it's still 90% Cuban and 10% new world cigars. If you take a place like London or, or uh, uh, the UK, it's probably 70-30. But in Germany, um, it's probably half and half at this point. And in Germany, the uh, there's there's a very small percentage of people that like the American-type cigars that are strong and Nicaraguan and those kinds of things. And then the cigars that do really, really well are the ones that are the most Cuban-like, but they're half the price of a Cuban cigar. Mm. So they're mostly Dominican cigars, to be honest. So um, we wanted to make something specifically that someone who smoked Cuban cigars on a regular basis would enjoy, but then was still, you know, distinctly Nicaraguan and and distinctly Romacraft. So, um, you know, there again, most of them still got sold back to the States, so... Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know how successful we are at that. Inner Tobacco is next week, uh, because of the baby, I'm not going, but, uh, Mike is going to be in Germany next week. And, uh, you know, Mike being, Mike is very in tune with the, the American market and the American customer and the American retailer and the way it works. Um, Europe is completely different. So it's, I'll be interested to hear what Mike's perceptions are when he gets back from from touring if he doesn't eat himself to death first <laughs> you're you're the one always doing all the food posts well i make food man it's awesome too pictures, i love it i take i take i take pictures of food but i only eat like part of it <laughs> mike goes to four restaurants a day so <laughs> <laughs> um are you uh now i might have missed part of the conversation earlier you uh, did you work in the craft beer field? At all? I've heard that, and I don't know. No, if I'm any just uh, I'm just a I'm just I, I'm not I'm a craft beer consumer. So okay, you know, Mike and I are both really into that. So, you know, we've collect. We I think we probably have somewhere near five or six thousand bottles in our collection. Everybody that walks in goes, "Oh, are you a bar?" And it's like, "No, we're just this is our office." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, I just I just. 
I, I feel the same way about beer as I do about cigars is that, you know, some of these small guys are making stuff that's shitty that people are buying just because it's small and, um, you know, hip. And then some of these some of these big guys are making things that are pretty solid. But at the end of the day, making small amounts of stuff, you know, I think of it this way. Like if you if you look at a consumer product, like, say, laundry detergent, right? Um, on the far left hand side, you have the stuff that's that's generic and it works. And on the far right hand side of the bell curve, you have, you know, this recycled container with the organic, super <laughs> earth friendly whatever right you're not going to sell but right in the middle of the bell curve there's you know tide so you know you're not going to ever when you make tide or when you make something that's meant to appeal to the middle of the bell curve it's going to be something that 50 percent of the people like there the great thing about craft beer is there's some weird guy in some corner of some small warehouse somewhere making a beer out of shit that probably 98% of the people won't drink, but there's 2% of the people that are going to love it, and it's so unique that if you do like it, you're not going to find anything like that anywhere else in the world. Yeah. And that's the only people doing that kind of beer is craft beer makers, right? Mm -hmm. So that that's what I, I mean. This idea of you know double hopped and dry hopped and triple hopped and you know the, the whole 120-minute IPA stuff, I, I don't like, I'm not a big fan of IPAs or hoppy beers, but, you know, the, the people that make, um, you know, Piney the Younger or Piney the Elder or Dogfish 120 or 90, those guys would never have made that beer if they were trying to make a mass market beer. Hmm. So the fact that the craft beer guys exist and there's guys out there making sours and stouts with chocolate and chili peppers, and th that's very interesting to me. And that's one of the things I love about craft beer makers. Awesome. Good. Jeff, go ahead. You got anything else? No, I'm I'm good. Well, let him get back to the Mo. What he's got to get done. I'm good, man. Mo's good. Skip, uh, we appreciate you being on. Um, we know everybody can check you out on uh, Instagram, um, Facebook. You're you're on there as well, right? You mentioned. Correct. Uh, and um, most everything I have goes to my Twitter account. So. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Man, we appreciate you being on. Well, Thank yeah. you. Thank yeah, you thanks very much. a lot, Skip. We appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Skip. You're welcome. I, I did most of the talking, but this is maybe be the first time Jeff didn't do most talking in any conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we, we didn't we didn't talk about Star Wars figures and shit like that, so he probably didn't much to say. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I'll save it for the next time. I'll probably well, bore cool, Rosales down it's been with cool. it at our event. Well, if you guys if you guys get a chance to come down to Austin and. Um, Come smoke a cigar in our headquarters or drink a beer or whatever. You guys are welcome anytime. Awesome, Thanks, man. Thank sir. you. Appreciate that. Thank you, Skip. Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. Have a good one. All right, guys. And if you made it this far, thank you guys again. Uh, we apologize for missing this week, uh, but we will be back next week. Hit us up on um, social media, Facebook, Instagram, email those questions to us uh, so we can have some more content for next week. Thanks, guys.